0: Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. Joining me on this rip is Ben Kincaid from Bridger Solutions, a Bitcoin mining company looking to harness stranded and sustainable energy in Africa, primarily. Uh, As Ben would say himself, uh, we seek to bridge the gap between energy and human potential. We believe that energy-backed future is key to human flourishing and freedom very interesting past with Ben here worked at the US federal government for 13 years we go on a very very deep dive into that world what he was doing and what he is doing now with Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining so enjoy this episode thank you so much for coming on Ben before we do get into the show a shout out to the show sponsors Swan Bitcoin they have New products available that I have not been shilling. So, get over to the website. Go see what they're offering. SwanBitcoin.com forward slash Bitten. You can get a white glove service. You can get financial advice. You can get free books. You can get a free 10 bucks. You can get an IRA. You can dollar cost average. You can smash buy. You can get to Pacific Bitcoin and meet the whole Swan team. There is so much. Get over there. SwanBitcoin.com forward slash Bitten. Hopefully, you'll get to see them in Miami if you are going. Use Bitten at checkout on the the BTC Miami page for a 10% discount on all your ticket purchases. Across this side of the pond, Relay just funded. They're going places. Julian Leninger is coming back on the show uh, with co-founder Adem
1: in about
0: three weeks' time to tell us what's going on at Relay and their new products because they have a white glove service. They have Bitcoin for business. They have Bitcoin private they have bitcoin smash buy they've got an app oh like swan have an app i forgot to mention the swan app there's so much going on guys there's so much going on and now the vc money is starting to get unlocked so relay are backed by ego death they led the round and a few other people lightning ventures were behind that too 2023 is going to be huge you also have coin corner serving the uk and europe an exchange where you can link up your bolt card and spend lightning like you uh, spend via the lightning network, like you would with any other kind of normal card. But this one is so great, you, you've got to get the card. Just check it out coincorner.com. Uh, hit the link in the show notes, and I believe you still get a free £10 after your first £100 or euro purchase of Bitcoin through the exchange. Hoddle, uh, hoddle, peer to peer. Global KYC free trading platform. That's pretty much all you need to know. They also have their lending, peer to peer lending, which I think is going to start picking up steam very soon. So go and check out what they have to offer. But they also run the Honey Badger, the Baltic Honey Badger conference in Riga. That's going to be the first weekend of September. So there's no code for discounts because you're going to have to get there, whatever the weather. WasabiWallet.io, download it. Use it for your coin joining service. See if that's a service that is good for you and get a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet by shiftcrypto.ch/ forward slash bitten and use the code bitten 5% off. Here is Ben. All right, Ben, welcome to the Once Bitten Show. Great to have you on.
1: Thanks, Daniel. It's great to be here.
0: Uh, We've got a lot to, to talk about, unfortunately, my mic's not plugged in <laughs> once. <second>. Ah <laughs> oh, here we go. Let's make sure that picks up. One, two, one two. that should sound better.
1: Uh, that sounds good.
0: All right. okay. Uh, I should leave that in in the uh, in the spirit of never editing a podcast.
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: Uh, yeah, great great to meet you, brother. Um, I listened to a show you were on with that lawyer firm, right? What do they call themselves? Coinbits or something? Uh, Bra- Brace
1: Bracewell's uh, Crypto Bits podcast. Yeah.
0: Crypto Bits, yeah. Uh, which was sent to me by Muteness, I believe. Uh, big shout out. Uh, another guy that's been on the podcast and obviously listens to lots of other things. Uh, and I was—I uh, really enjoyed listening to the episode because they were trying to pull you into the. But what about the other projects conversation? <laughs> and you were slamming it down every single time and trying your hardest to orange pill them. And I was thinking to myself, "We got a sleeper maxi here. Where the hell have you been?"
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that was—you know—that was my first uh, podcast. Uh, and I guess the, the short answer to where I've been is uh, I've been in the in government service for the last 15 years as a foreign service officer. Uh, and um, you know, podcasts talking about your opinions on a number of things uh, is, is not always uh, something that you're allowed to do. And so it was a, a surreal but great experience to, Share with the world of my for you yeah know, for the first time uh, my thoughts about about Bitcoin Bitcoin mining Bitcoin versus crypto and uh, yeah Seth and, and and Bracewell gave me gave me a great opportunity to do that yeah
0: they did they were and. Uh, in in classic lawyer fashion, I think one of them interrupted you and said, whoa, whoa, "Whoa, I'll go put my lawyer hat on here and uh, you know just <laughs> d- d- just the small print. And when you were basically saying, yeah ninety nine point nine percent all of them are just complete infinity scams. Uh, so it, it was entertaining to listen to. Uh, so that was the reason I ended up reaching out uh, and we were also connected, I believe, by um uh, Obi and uh, Eric as well. From yeah, Eric, Eric, gridless. Over
1: at gridless. Yep, yep.
0: So, yeah, yeah.
1: incredible, incredible, incredible guys. Uh, just real quick on, on the Bracewell guys, uh, uh to, to their defense, not that I want to be their their lawyer, uh, they, they, you know, they have to have that legal cap on. And I think that their firm, I mean, gosh, uh, almost, almost all law firms that touch crypto in some way are having to deal with the FTX fallout. So they've got to be super cautious about, uh, you know, being perceived to take one side or the other. But it was awesome because those guys, you know, are kind of early in the crypto slash Bitcoin journey. And hopefully they are uh, pushed more to the Bitcoin side after that one.
0: All right. So before we we get into the rabbit hole story and before we get into Bridger and uh, Bitcoin mining, I always like to take it back so the listeners can kind of get an idea of of who we're talking to because it really gives a lot of people hope that just so many people from so many different backgrounds have managed to shake off the shackles of, uh, of fiat existence and, and find their way into uh, a Bitcoin role in some way. And in your case, uh, that meant shaking off the shackles of a 15-year career uh, in the government, in the federal government, Um uh, so th- th- there's got to be some incredible stories here. So <laughs> yeah. what? Um, <clears throat> what? Where were you growing up? What? What was that? That kind of pathway for you out of school into college? Why federal government? You know?
1: Yeah. So it's you know I I, I was raised with um, uh, a good set of values. You know, kind of lower middle class family, central Virginia. Uh, we had lots of financial struggles along the way. And that's something that I was, you know, all kids are keenly aware of, uh, when they're growing up, um, ups and downs, uh, but through it all, uh, a mom and a dad that, uh, uh they made it clear that they loved us and we we're going to get through it. And, uh, and that we need to always think about serving something higher, uh, than ourselves, uh, and have purpose and mission, uh, and, uh, and even when things are bad, you know, that's part of the divine plan and, and, uh, and, you know, God will, will see us through it. Uh, so I was lucky to, you know, come from parents, uh, parents like that, but I think that I was born with, I don't know. It's, I was try, trying to think like, what is it that, that I bring, if anything interesting to the world, I think on one side, it's, uh, a contrarian spirit, uh, uh a little bit of a rebel streak, but at the same time, I, I really enjoyed working with people and trying to bring people to consensus and so uh, around things. Um, uh, and so if you can do both those things at the same time, maybe that's a miracle, and, um, but maybe that's something interesting. Uh, but uh, the rebel streak was... Uh, rebelling against the college that essentially my mom chose for me which was a military school in virginia called virginia military institute so i did that that's a that's a longer a longer story looking back on it at age 45 i'm really glad i went there yes mom you were right that's where i needed to be i needed to get whipped into shape a little bit but after 4 years of uh, of military school i wanted to do you know everything in the other direction and as quickly as possible and so uh, you know, for lack of better things to do, I, I I flew to uh I flew to to Budapest, Hungary, and taught English for a year, did the same thing in, in Spain. It was through a uh, a program with, uh, connected to the school that I went to. Uh grew my grew my hair out you know, below my shoulders, you know, said, Hey, you know, here, here's to you, military, military guys, you know. Uh but in the back of my head. Uh, oh quick, quick aside on that. So I had my, my first class uh, teaching English, uh, coming out of military school, uh, but already with longish hair and, and trying to you know, gain full hippie status. I was teaching a, uh, at a defense university in, in Budapest, and it was two colonels and two generals uh, were my first classmates. This was 1999. Uh, Hungary had just joined NATO. And as you can imagine, the military was quickly moving from this kind of communist uh, satellite state juggernaut military to you're either going to be a part of this kind of lean NATO force that we're trying to comply with, or you're going to be put to pasture. So I got, I got put in uh, English class with four put to pasture colonels and generals uh, they had zero interest in learning English, but you know what? They had a lot of interest in teaching me how to drink in the Hungarian style and taking me around the countryside and going from, uh, you know, uh, uh, military resort to resort. So uh, that was uh, two years of my post-college life, trying to figure out what it was I was supposed to do in the world in my early 20s, uh, but with the... the um, you know my mom and everything I learned in military school and, and really what I believed which was at some point I've got to you know come back and figure out how I can you know, serve uh, in, in a unique way uh, my country. I uh, decided it wasn't going to be the military uh, but uh, but a career in the foreign service, especially after living, overseas for a couple of years, not really changing my life and broadening my perspective and, and, uh, and learning languages, uh, I was like, okay, this is, this is the career path that can bring, uh, you know, that, that rebel spirit with a sense of purpose and, you know, uh, and mission and desire to serve my country, uh, which I am very, very proud of, um, uh, together. So that's, that's the quick story.
0: All right. So then how did you find your way into the, the federal government and what was that first role?
1: Yeah, so uh, it's a long application process. So I was, uh, you know, farting around with different jobs uh, as I was going through the, uh, you know, the applications to, to do a number of different things to include um, potentially be a foreign service officer. Uh, and that I think, you know, with the security background check, uh, all of the interviews that you have to go through and there's a couple of different tests uh, and by the way, and, and you know, obviously I got I got in, uh, but I think Congress had just mandated a huge increase in the number of of uh, foreign service officers. So um, uh, uh, it was, I was very fortunate that, that was the case. Otherwise, I don't think I would have gotten in. Um, but about a year and a half later, I found myself in. And uh, they said, OK, uh, great. Here's your training you know, program. You go through the training and then they uh, decide what your what your first assignment is going to be, uh, and at that time everybody was flooding into uh, war zones primarily, and that you know is is a another conversation that connects to the Bitcoin story later, uh, and so I was um, sent out to a couple of tough places uh, on a kind of a permanent but more temporary basis. Um, and we're uh, not fully permanent basis. And then when I turned from that, uh, my first kind of true two year assignment was Rabat, Morocco, where I served as an economic officer and consular officer and whatever they needed me to do. Uh, and then from there, um, worked in a, a number of other places uh, to include Afghanistan and uh, all over Africa, uh, served, a, a, we consider it as a field tour in uh, New York um and uh yeah that's that's my that's my foreign service trajectory
0: right so when you're when you're in one of these war zones or countries at war how close were you guys to you know the 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 action for want of a better word to you know put a hollywood spin on it
1: yeah so when uh we served and i say we now because Uh, I met my uh, wife when we started. And so we're a tandem couple uh, and we were both fortunate enough to both find positions in Kandahar, Afghanistan. So off we went, uh, Amber and I. Are you in your twenties at this point? So this is, this, this is actually early thirties when I'm in Afghanistan. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. uh, Trying to do the math. So uh, yeah. Kandahar, Afghanistan, by that point, the you know the war has matured. I mean, it's ten years ten years in. Uh, you have uh, the military there uh, for sure, but you also have uh, a number of of supporting civilian agencies, to include uh, State Department and uh, a lot of three letter agencies. And so we were all working together out of a military base and really depended on the military guys uh, to, you know, protect the perimeter of the base and then also protect us as we're moving around to do what we need to do as, as diplomats, as foreign service officers, which is, you know, essentially going out and forging good relationships in Afghanistan. It was with tribal leaders and warlords and, uh, and you know, folks that uh, had decided um, to, uh, to be our friends uh, because we had a common enemy, the Taliban. Uh, so uh, thankfully, you know, we didn't get too close to any, any bombs going off, but bombs certainly were going off. Uh, at that point, there was a very strong, um, head of police in the, uh, in the Southern part of Afghanistan that kept the Taliban at bay. Uh, but occasionally bad things happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, for example, um, unfortunately, uh, one of the individuals that, uh, that, uh, it's a longer story, but a guy that I replaced was killed in a suicide uh, bombing uh, and it can happen anywhere, you know, at, at any time, even though it's very, it was very rare at that point. Uh, in that instance, um, a, uh, a member of the Taliban had uh, penetrated uh, the, uh, the local uh, intelligence service and uh, so had been recruited by the Taliban uh, as an Afghan government official. Um, and so, uh, they, the Taliban had intelligence that a military helicopter was going to land at a certain time in a certain place in a uh, district of Kandahar. And so it landed and they were ready. And, uh, uh, you know, this, uh, this young man, uh, in his, you know, uh, Afghanistan, uh, police uniform, uh, Got on the motorcycle, showed his badge and was able to drive his motorcycle right up to the helicopter and blew himself up. And uh, yeah, it was uh, that's the kind of story um, that happened far less to uh, civilians that were participating in the effort, but was, you know, an everyday occurrence for military uh, personnel in Afghanistan and and Iraq uh, uh, and other places as well.
0: Yeah it's crazy man. I've had a few guys on the show that um had served. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Kyle from Pleb Labs. Uh, you you want to go back and listen to that episode. I'm sure uh Preston himself was uh he was flying uh, Apaches uh you know in and out of Af- Afghanistan did um did two tours I think. I've had Andrew Howard on the show. There seems to be in fact I know there is a big uh military ex-military a telegram group of Bitcoiners that are all, you know, showing support to each other.
1: Um, yeah, Daniel, just real quick on that. I, I think that's uh, what I'm part of. It's called Bitcoin Vets. Hmm. Uh, and so there's uh, a number of us on telegram and we're, we're, uh, you know, trading stuff back, back and forth. And, and most recently we kind of got our, you know, put our heads together about how we can support the public policy discussion around Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining from, a veterans or you know, civilian uh, service uh, members uh, perspective um, with that national security background to try to move the you know the ball forward. But yeah, Bitcoin Vets, with, which uh, Alex Brammer and Kyle uh, Schnepp and Jason Browder started. It's an awesome group and it's growing. Uh, there's more um, DOD, Department of Defense and Military guys that are part of it, but some civilians like me as well. Uh, and I think that's going to be a big part of how we get the... Uh, the conversation moving in the right direction in, uh, in Washington on Bitcoin.
0: I am bullish on that group of Bitcoiners. <laughs> because if the military does nothing, but it instill that level of you know, doggedness, um, determination, especially when you are chasing something such as the truth, which, as we all know, Bitcoin is underpinned by the truth, that the skill set you guys have, whether that be, um, you know, even logistics, something as basic as logistics, right? That is so critically important to a mining company, for example. if you've got to get ASICs from A to B to C all the way to Z uh, and all of the moving parts in between, uh, I'm going to bet on the military guys that have found Bitcoin.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 100%. And it's been super cool to kind of discover each other. As we've been going uh, along our our uh, individual path, and and uh, yeah, and then you know, kind of share you know share stories, share how we um, kind of went down the the Bitcoin rabbit hole, you know what that looked like, and then how we can kind of join forces and uh, and make this our our uh, our purpose and mission in life.
0: So when did you you know peer into the rabbit hole? What what <laughs> what were the what were the instances for
1: you that uh, that led you there? It's, it's funny i mean i could i could go real you know kind of philosophical and talk about this for a long time as you Please look do. back on your life well and you look back on your life and you and you realize that that uh, little things that happened, little little seeds that were that were planted you know that, years that's that's what
0: back. i want to know that's what i've been trying to pull out of people these 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 these, these touch points that happened 10 20 years before even the discovery of bitcoin the, the things that were priming you for it. so please delve into any one of those little seeds that you you yeah
1: had. yeah. I mean one that just you know, kind of occurred to me and wasn't I wasn't prepared to, to talk about but you know, just growing up in a, in a lower middle class family and seeing the financial struggles that my mom and dad had. Uh, and you know uh, it's something that Bitcoiners talk about when especially when you get into the inflation discussion of the uh, of the rat race, and how you've got to just kind of keep spinning those wheels faster and faster to kind of keep up with inflation, especially if you can't figure out or you don't have the, um, uh, the extra income to put money into a, into a store of value that works for you, be it, you know, real estate or, or um, equities or, or gold or whatever. And so, you know, you're, you're constantly at that, I've got almost zero money until next paycheck. I don't always know where that next paycheck is coming. And, you know, the, uh, the currency is being debased, you know, at a uh, staggering rate and not something that I knew back then or paid attention to. Uh, but looking back, I was like, man, this was part of our story, just kind of growing up. Uh, and, uh, and then, yeah, another uh, point that happened, I don't know, this is gosh, 20, 20, almost 20 years ago. Now I was, uh in grad school while i was applying for uh foreign service and other things and trying to figure out what to do with my life and i had one professor uh who was it was an elective it was outside of what i went to study uh and i look back on it and it was uh that you know the two classes i took from him uh made up for all the you know bs classes that i had to take uh and it a guy named josh mitchell um uh still writing doing incredible stuff but he he taught a class on Alexis de Tocqueville uh and on political theory and his uh his teaching on Alexis de Tocqueville and how Alexis de Tocqueville as a French aristocrat who toured the United States in the 1830s and read our mail better than as Americans as American as Democrats in America, uh, better than anyone um, before or, or since, uh, became this new filter you know, that, I, that I viewed the world through. And as I've gone through the Bitcoin journey, I keep going back to that class. I keep going back to Alexis de Tocqueville and how uh, he saw then that the underside of a democracy that is unconstrained, that is unmoored, that uh, that is untethered to anything that is hard and real is the great temptation of the democratic soul. And so that we constantly have to re like imbue or enliven the democracy with these things that hold our feet to the ground Uh, because our tendency is to just float away into the metaverse, <laughs> you know? so uh, so I've been thinking a lot about that class and Alexis de Tocqueville, and how I think that he would definitely be a Bitcoiner and see Bitcoin as this incredible, uh, you know, modern mooring that ties our feet to the ground, reimbues us with a set of like values and truth, uh, and is this incredible civic association. Uh, that, you know, democracies have to have uh, because the tendency is for us to kind of collapse into a solitary kind of soul, uh, lonely state uh, because we don't have, you know, forced obligations on us. And so we have to voluntarily in a democracy spend more time with with family and extended family. We have to voluntarily involve ourselves in the political process at the local level. We have to voluntarily... A uh, uh, volunteer to be part of civic associations, even if it's bullshit civic associations, just to be able to, you know, mix it up, put, you know, fellow man with fellow man uh, to, uh, uh, to be part of, of building, you know, building a world together. And that's what Bitcoin, you know, means to me more than anything else at the base level. It's, it's something uh, uh, that enables us, us at our, at our, at the base level, to uh uh to build a world together what
0: was the um what was the job your old man was doing when you were growing up
1: oh yeah dad uh so dad was you know a, a brilliant guy who uh uh didn't didn't finish college uh uh, was haunted by you know, you know, demons of, of, of his past and growing up, uh, but uh, was, was awesome because uh, he had you know, tons of ideas and they went off in lots of different directions. So he never did anything more than like a year or two. Uh, he settled into a couple of things that he kind of did off and on uh, towards the end of his life, which included uh, lobbying the Virginia General Assembly but he lobbied for uh, causes that didn't pay any money. So for example, or didn't pay much money. So for example, uh, he lobbied for the Virginia Midwives Association uh, because they were underrepresented. He lobbied for uh, 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 marijuana advocates uh, because he had a super mean, and when I say mean, good libertarian streak. Uh, and he, uh, kind of most inf- infamously in Virginia or famously, uh, lobbied against, uh, 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 riverboat, um, gambling. Uh, and that is the, if you want to make money in lobbying, that's like the opposite thing you want to do around the gambling <laughs> issue is work for the uh, the, uh, the, anti-casino, uh, lobby, but he, he was a man of convictions and, uh, and he, You know, didn't let not making money stand in the way of his purpose and mission. And then his ideas that he had on on making money were, I think, brilliant ideas, but were ahead of his time. And he had a couple failed partnerships. Uh, But uh, but, uh, you know, that taught me that, you know, you know, just keep just keep going. Just keep trying on all that stuff. So that's that's dad. A lot lot more to talk about uh, with him. but uh, uh, Unfortunately, he left us a, a couple of years. Miss him a lot.
0: Yeah, it's um. We're about the same age. I think you're 76 or 77. Uh, 77, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. So I'm 76. Uh, and when, you know, the, I can't remember when this suddenly dropped on me. But It's like, oh, shit. We have grown up. You know, everything that we've ever known has been tethered to a lie, the lie of fiat currency. <laughs> and that's Deep philosophical, psychological, weird shit going on there. And, you know, our parents were very, very close to that because, you know, 1971 was when Nixon rug pulled the whole world. Uh, And it is the whole world. It wasn't just the US. It was the whole world because everybody's currency was pegged to the US dollar as we've we've now all taught ourselves because you don't get taught that in school. Uh, And the knock-on effects and the ripple effects and how that's shaped societies around the world has just been, you know, mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. Um, and what it would have been like to be uh, in, you know, gainful employment at that point. Like, could you imagine turning on the news now? And I just wonder what it was like when that announcement was made. Did anybody realize the words, the significance of the words coming out of his mouth? You know, our parents.
1: Yeah. Yeah, You know, I mean, I, you know, I've read, I've watched that, uh, that clip many mm-hmm. times as you have and others have and you know Nixon they call you know they called him tricky dick for a good, good reason right uh and yeah it, well yeah, he did he did some some important things as well but man that was a doozy uh in in the not good category uh you know you can understand why uh but you know nowhere in there um did could you detect that this was something that was Uh, you're going to be permanent, nowhere in that speech, you know, uh, could you even really discern the, certainly the true reason, you know, Uh, the folks that picked up on it were the ones that, you know, wanted to redeem their, their gold because they saw that that inflation was, was uh, running away already, mainly because of the Vietnam war. And so, you know, the French, the French ship had to, had to turn around. They almost, they almost got it. Mm. Uh, But it is, it is really, uh, it is really almost unbelievable. To see that as the inflection point where there was just such such an incredible turn towards um, kind of the opposite of uh, a productive or or what could, could have been a much more fully productive economy.
0: So Bitcoin did come and tap you on the shoulder at one point or many, many times before you even decided to pick up a book or an article or listen to a podcast like it has happened to all of us. Uh, you probably dismissed it a few times. What what was that journey?
1: Yeah, so uh, I was coming back from uh, Kinshasa, uh, DRC, Congo, in uh, early 2020. This was just as uh, coronavirus was sweeping across the world. Uh, uh, it was a, there was a forced departure because of that out of uh, many posts worldwide, and so Congo was one of them. Uh, I remember thinking I was like, uh, so uh, sorry. Uh, I was, uh, the drive to the airport was was pretty surreal because um, Kinshasa, by the way, Congo is a is a massive city. Most people don't know that Kinshasa is the uh, the largest French-speaking city in the world. There's probably 15, 16 million people in Kinshasa, wow. and it is one of the most brutal drives to an airport of any, you know, anywhere in the world. Uh, If you ever want to just really understand Africa, just make that drive. It's only about 15, uh, that's like 10 miles, um, but it can take up to four hours. But I was, yeah, I was remember, just remembering uh, that, uh, you know, everybody's like, wow, this this thing, we don't know whether it's going to kill all of us. Everybody's got to slap the mask on, um, get to a safe place, hunker down, do all the things that we did at that time. And I think everybody was fairly unified about that. But the Africans didn't care. Right. The Africans, I, I mean, common. So on that drive, driving to the airport and you've got just frenetic, crazy Africa life that had not changed one jot. You've got a motorcycle with a family of six, you know, just barely skimming the, you know, the transport bus to, you know, get to the airport. And part of it is that, man, I mean, on the, on the list of priorities that these folks have, you know, coronavirus, and this was even like peak, you know, fear of coronavirus. Yeah. The, the, uh, the inner conversation that even African leaders, I think were saying yeah. is like, yeah, you know, we're going to do the needful, right. Because we want to make sure that everything stays open. Uh, but uh, you know, or get back open as soon as possible. Uh, but this is like number six or seven or eight on the list of things that, that we're really concerned about in Africa. There's about, you know that many things ahead of us that are gonna kill us, you know before like just living, just trying to eat out a living in Africa is going to kill you before coronavirus. And not to minimize what coronavirus did in some African countries and not being able to get support to those folks. Uh, but I just uh, found that startling kind of at the outset. But anyway, I got back from Kinshasa, Congo, hit the Corona couch, like everybody, trying to figure out what this was and what this meant. Uh, and had my next assignment um, set, but it was pushed back a couple of months, headed, uh, was was uh, heading at that point to Nouakchott, Mauritania, uh, but had to write out this Corona time. So I'm in Richmond, Virginia, uh, left ahead of my wife, she had, had to stay stay behind for work for a couple of more weeks, and uh, you know, just started staring into things I hadn't stared into before. You know, and as I think a lot of us did, you know, what is this disease? What is what are the implications of this? How is this going to change the world? What are the other factors that it's that it's uh, uh, that it's uh, going you know um, going to you know hit up against? Uh, and so, you know, start to look at macroeconomics and geopolitics and kind of this new and I got a phone call from now uh, co-founder of the company, my buddy Jake, uh, former Marine and uh, member of the Special Forces community that I worked with uh, a good bit over the years. And he was like, hey, Ben, you know, I'm, I'm back as well. Uh, and, yeah, you know, it's crazy. Did you see the market? The market had just crashed. And you, know, you should check out this asset called Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin, you know, it, it was really high and now it's really low. You know, I started to look under the hood. I think that there's something there at a minimum, pick up one, uh, what you can. And I think this thing's going to pop high when the market turns and you can just trade it and sell it. And so Jake and I, so he, so I did. Uh, uh, after I got permission from my wife and she <laughs> kind of gave me the, the raised hairy eyebrow. She's like, all right, you know what you're doing? And I was like, uh, not much. I'm not buying much. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And so that turned into a, uh, almost daily call with Jake. Uh, and you know, I, I gotta give credit to him. I mean, he started it and he went down the, the rabbit hole before me, but he got swept away. I got swept away. I, the, the journey was essentially, okay, wow, what makes this thing valuable? Okay, I think I kind of get it. I've got it, but I still am, uh, am not convinced about you know, Bitcoin. Uh, but you know what is, uh, has more staying power and has a lot of the same attributes as gold? So I banked over to gold, learned a lot about uh, uh, kind of the history of money uh, and you know, what gold was and why that was a store of value, invested more in, in gold and gold stocks, uh, mining stocks. And as I moved forward from that, I pivoted back to Bitcoin because it just became increasingly clear that the farther I, and, and the farther I went down that uh, the Bitcoin rabbit hole was that, uh, you know, gold is, is great, but Bitcoin is superior in all of the ways that I think you and our, our listeners, your listeners uh, understand that it's superior uh, and it's early and it's incredibly disruptive and it can you know, liberate and bank uh, literally billions of people that didn't have this opportunity before. And so all of those things uh, then pivoted me back to Bitcoin. And somewhere in that journey, uh, I flirted with Ethereum and other altcoins and I you know, bought some of those and tried to understand what they were. And before I, I, had like kind of a, a hard conviction about 99% of the rest of crypto. I just couldn't, I couldn't understand what the hell these things did, why they needed to be there, what their use cases were, and I wrote it off as like Ben. Maybe you're just too dumb to understand. But if you don't understand something, don't own it. And I, you know, uh, basically just arbitraged everything back to Bitcoin, and uh, and the rest is, is history. Um, until you know, uh, left the left the, the, the service and decided to start a, a company, yeah.
0: <laughs> which is huge. Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah, tw- right. two years, two years. Yeah. Okay. Let's give up my 15 year career as a uh, working for the US federal government and um, take a hell Mary and start a Bitcoin mining. <laughs> yeah, like, right. like, like, you're, yeah, you're the people that know you and uh, love you the most must have been thinking the fuck is up
1: with this guy <laughs>
0: like what yeah, are you exactly. doing what do you mean you're resigning i mean what was that yeah, chat like
1: yeah. well so i got this this mug i don't know whether this this is also a video for your audience but it, i uh i think my wife got it for me It says war- no a, a, a uh uh one of uh, my, my brother-in-law warning me randomly start talking about Bitcoin. And so I quickly became the family member and friend that, uh, you know, was either avoided or they didn't want to raise it. Uh, but yes, um, it was, uh, uh, you know, a uh, quite a decision to a leave the government and then B start, start a, uh, a company um, and bootstrap it uh, uh, with, with our own, with our own money. Um, so, I knew that I was going to leave government service after this tour. Uh, And yeah, I've been, I've been reading your book and, and, uh, and by the way, uh, uh, I know, you know, authors don't like to toot their own horn, but uh, choose life is fantastic. And some of the, uh, the tips and tricks in there, are awesome tips and tricks for like first tour and second tour foreign service officers and families that are, that are living overseas for the first time. Um, so I, I, uh, I highly, I highly recommend it. And I was laughing at some parts because when you live overseas and it's just, it, yeah you, know, you, you get it. Um, but, uh, yeah, as you probably faced when you made the decision that you made, uh, it was the same, um, uh, uh, for me in leaving the service, not because leaving is something strange. uh, It's because I decided to leave at 15 years-ish, whatever it is, and and not 20, because in the Foreign Service uh, and in the military, if you have 20 years uh, uh, of service, uh, you can retire at age 50, which is pretty awesome, right? So you can get that half pension, uh, which increases with extra years of service. Um, which provides a lot of financial stability and and security. And so at age 45, you know, I'm creeping up on uh, 50 and, you know, it's like, you can almost, you can almost see it. And, and that, so that was the shock for most of my friends. Like you've made it this far, you know, you've got a great career, you can get promoted, uh, you can make more money and that will add to your retirement. And even if you don't care about those things, just, just hang tight, man. It's just five years. Uh, And so uh, I just knew, and that that was not even that much of an internal debate uh, that I needed to go. um, And not because I hated the career. I mean, in in a lot of ways, the opposite. Uh, Working in the field, in far-flung places, far from the flagpole, as we say, is pretty fantastic work. And at times doing impactful, important things to help keep your country safe. Um, sometimes like spinning your wheels and and, and doing bullshit, but, but, uh, you know, there's some great, uh, uh, you know, high level purpose and mission, um, things that you can f- fulfill with a small team. And that's, that was my career. Um, and so I knew that after this last tour in Mauritania, uh, that would be my wife's turn, which is great. So we're here in Dominican Republic and I'd need to figure out how to kind of bide my time, work remotely for headquarters back in DC. And then, and then the story is, you've got to go back to Washington after that. And I would eke out the last few years and get, and get my retirement. Um, and, uh, and so I just decided that I wasn't going uh, to do that. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, for me, as I've gotten older, and certainly you know, after we had our, uh, our, our first, our only uh, child, our daughter, and hit the age of 40, uh, time kind of takes on a different, um, sense, you know, than, than it does in your teens or in your twenties or even in your early thirties. And, uh, and so I was starting to like intuit and feel viscerally the scarcity of time. And so when you feel that as you get older and when you have, uh, kids and you're thinking about, okay, I've got like, you know, the next 20 years where it it all kind of comes together in terms of you're taking care of yourself, physical vigor with mental acuity, experience, you should really be pouring yourself A, into your family, but B, uh, into what it is that you think you can contribute to the world during your best years. You know, like we we should not be wasting our time if we're not fully convinced uh, that uh, what it is that we're spending most of our waking hours doing is not a worthy use of that time. And so for me, I knew that it was time to leave service, even though it was not too far from retirement and pension. And that was dovetailing with this Bitcoin journey. And so uh, I became increasingly convinced with the help of co founder Jake and uh, the third co founder, John. That uh, uh, that we should start this company, uh, Bridger Sol- Solutions, and and give it and give it a shot, and try to do as much good as we can, uh, and contribute kind of our background and our experience and, and you know what we, you know what we learn and whatever skills we gain along the way to this new ecosystem and mining in particular in places like Africa, so yeah, you know, super excited. Yeah, you also get a, a hopefully more like. Kind of humble as you get older, uh, and realize that you know maybe maybe this isn't going to work out. The only thing that I know for sure is that uh, uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem is going to be uh, a dominant part of my professional life. I'm going to you know pour myself into it. We think we've got an awesome opportunity with this Bitcoin mining company uh, in Africa and other emerging markets. Uh, but uh, it's just kind of you know we've got we've got uh, a plan. We've got a system. Uh, we, uh, we're kind of trying to crush it day in and day out and then we'll let the, the cards fall where they may,
0: may. I mean congrats <laughs> because it's so difficult walking away from from that's you, you stared the sunk cost fallacy in the face and you won because you made that decision right you ripped off the band-aid it's like yeah of course just hang tight just another five stretch like five years. Like yeah, right. most people think, oh, yeah, just, just another five years. You're like five years of spinning my wheels, doing administrative bullshit. Doing like, yeah, it might be, maybe there'll be some flashes of brilliance in there as well. And, yeah. you know, maybe yeah. uh, an incredible posting at some stage, but still five years of the same day to day. And that five years that just trickles through your fingers so quickly. And especially when you apply that to your kids, if you got a five-year-old, you know that's that's double their life. Like that, you know, yeah. that you wouldn't be around because yeah. that's that's yeah. the way I kind of look at it now. I I binned it when my oldest was eight, and I hadn't been around her for eight years, and that's tough. That's really tough to come to that realization that for those eight years, I mean, thankfully, mum was around. She didn't have to. You know, hand her over to daycare or anything like that. So, you know, we much more of a traditional family, I suppose, in that sense. um, That there was always one parent around. But as as far as like having the father figure around, lodger in my own home, no fun, no good.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I saw that, I saw that coming uh, as well. Because I, I, yeah, I know my, I know myself and. And if my job has to be focused either on planes or in an embassy, in a secure place where you, you know, you are kind of stuck in there uh, for a lot of hours of the day, uh, but you've got a task in front of you, you know, that's, that's what you do. Uh, and um, yeah, I mean, I, when, when Addie, our daughter was little, little, we uh, <laughs> We put her on a plane to Kinshasa, Congo, when she was three months old. Uh, and so my wife and I were on the plane. Like, we looked at each other. And, uh, and we kind of, yeah. it's like, eh, are we good parents? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, fingers crossed, this is going to work out. And it did. It was awesome. And you know how it is traveling with kids now. It's awesome. But, uh, uh, yeah, so that tour out of Kinshasa, I was a journeyman flyaway guy. Uh, helping out embassies primarily in in West and South Central Africa. So I was on, I was on the plane all the time and I was away all the time. And it was, it was awesome work. I mean, I, I I loved it um, for lots of reasons, but I was away from this most precious, important thing in my life. And thankfully she was little, little. And so, you know, that was her zero to to two years. And so I justified in my mind that it's okay. She's not going to remember me being away and, you know, uh, uh, it's not, you know, it's critical time, time of life. Uh, but that wasn't going to change for me unless I did something, you know, about it, whether that was in the foreign service or, or not. Uh, and so that's been, you know, just that by itself leaving and having this time, I'm sitting outside I, just before getting on the call with you, you know, I have this, you know, little, uh, ritual I do with Addie before she goes to school. And it's like, I'm not going to be able to wave to you. Uh, uh, As you as you leave, you know we'll uh, we'll say our little prayer and we'll do our little reading. We'll do this thing, and then I know that as soon as she comes back from school, I'm going to be here, and we've got our little daddy daughter things that we do, and it's just awesome, you know. And so that that alone is worth um, uh, this uh, kind of crazy decision that uh, that I made.
0: Hundred percent, mate. Hundred percent. Right. So let's talk about Bridger. Bridger yeah. Solutions. What is the solution?
1: Yeah. So, uh, the solution is, uh, is what we can do with Bitcoin mining. And, uh, you know, I know that we say, uh, we say that Bitcoin fixes this and, and I agree it makes, it's going to make a lot of things better. Uh, but, um, uh, human, human agency, human interaction, what humans do with this technology, I think is going to be the deciding factor. So, uh, so, that being said, Bridger Solutions was, uh, was set up last year uh, by uh, Jake and John and myself uh, to uh, deploy investment dollars into Bitcoin mining operations uh, in Africa, potentially other emerging markets, but we're focused on, on Africa because we know Africa well. We spent a lot of time in Africa. Uh, operating on the on the continent doing difficult things was a different you know context for sure uh, but we understand uh, how business is done there uh, which means we're going to scratch a couple countries off our list um, but uh, uh, it's yeah and in, in, in doing business there, doing anything there is not for the faint of heart uh, but uh, but we uh, just absolutely love Africa uh, our hearts are also broken by the brokenness of Africa, especially when you realize after living there, the enormous potential, uh, human potential that uh, that is uh, Africa. And of course, when you say Africa, people say Africa, Africa is that big country, you know, over, uh, south of uh, Europe. And it's like, no, 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 it's actually 55 countries and and you can't speak about Africa uh, broadly like that. Uh, and you really have to go country by country. It's a very diverse place. But, um, but yeah, we believe that we need more energy in the world. We believe that uh, Bitcoin mining is the uh, best technology and consumer of energy to create a market incentive around creating Uh, more renewable energy. It's not uh, the United Nations or other international institutions that are going to somehow magically get countries around the world to stop using fossil fuels and start building renewable energy projects. It's entrepreneurs uh, that are working with uh, uh, host countries, working with, uh, with partners in countries around the world with businesses getting your hands dirty and solving problems and the big problem to solve uh, certainly in the U S and everywhere, but in Africa in particular is how to get more energy to more people. Uh, I think the number is like 43%, but yeah, it almost half of the population of Africa does not have electricity, which is Hmm. just, you know, just incredible. Uh, And if they do have access to electricity, uh, it's, it costs more than it costs here in the States. Maybe not where you're sitting because Europe's going through a tough time, but it's not, uh, it's not, um, uh, it's not crazy to have to pay 50 cents a kilowatt hour for electricity in an urban area of, of, uh, of Africa, uh, which is, or certainly a rural area because of the difficulty of getting electricity out there. Which is crazy when you think about the relative you know, income of uh, of Africans being far far lower than uh, than folks uh, than folks in the West. So um, so how do you uh, how do you go about changing that? Um, well, just to back up, so you can have two things happening at the same time in in an African country. You can have super high cost energy, electricity that is run by you know, diesel through generators in an, in an urban area uh, that costs a ton of money. And if you've got enough money, then you can have electricity. Uh, and at the same time, you've got a hydroelectric uh, power facility uh, that is in the middle of the jungle, uh, distant from uh, population centers and demand that is churning out wonderful, beautiful, high uptime energy. Uh, at a fantastic rate, but it's 100 miles uh, from the population center that needs it, and so the transmission infrastructure to get that energy to uh, a population center, consumers of energy, is cost is cost prohibitive. So that that means you've got almost zero cost energy because it's wasted energy uh, sitting in you know the middle of of, of the jungle in Congo. Uh, and so, what do you what do you do about that? Um, and I think Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin miners uh, are offering the first real solution, and we're watching it take place. And it's an awesome thing to behold. And, you know, the the guys down in, in Texas are are really showing the you know the rest of the country, the rest of the world really how it how it can be done. And uh, you know, a, a handful of miners, kind of led by Eric at, at Gridless, are showing you know what is in the realm of the possible. In Africa, uh, but uh, my goodness, it is it is early, early moments, um, and uh, the uh, 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 the potential is is enormous. Um, and so, uh, uh, yeah, what Bridger wants to do, what we're seeking to do, we're actively kind of pathing on the continent right now in a few places, is entering into power purchase agreements with either a state utility or uh, with a business um, that has control of, uh, of renewable energy sources that have a high stranded or wasted energy profile associated with them and saying, hey, guys, we would like to uh, monetize that energy that, uh, that's not being used uh, for anything else, um, uh, pay a fair price for it, which would be cheap for us. Uh, that would uh, incentivize uh, investment dollars to build the infrastructure and put the internet down and create a Bitcoin mining operation, uh, and then you've got a consumer of that uh, of that wasted uh, energy that can create uh, that creates revenue for the localities that creates a tax base uh, that wasn't there uh, before that creates a financing mechanism to uh, transmit that energy to other places, uh, uh, or to nearby villages, or to bigger population centers. Uh, And then ultimately, I think what we're going to see is that it's going to make economic sense to uh, use Bitcoin mining um, as a, uh, uh, a mechanism to finance the construction of more renewable energy projects in more places across the continent. Uh, so we're just excited to be kind of a, a part of the 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 start of that on on the, the African continent.
0: And that's awesome because you have all the connections and you have the uh, experience, as we were talking about before, bullish on you guys being able to deliver something like this, not only have the knowledge of whose door to knock on, when to knock on it as well, you know, a very key uh, part of the business sales process. Uh, and the 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 way the way in which to um, convey uh, the message, right? And then of course the logistical part, which uh, yeah. is going to be very difficult uh, <laughs> to uh, to to secure all of the ASICs that you need and to get them to site all in one piece and then all plugged in and you know then looked after correctly. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: you got a yeah. you got no, it's a big challenge. It's a done. The daunting task. It's got, kind of, it's kind of, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're excited about a couple, a couple potential opportunities in particular. But, you know, you know, these things always take longer than you expect, um, especially to kind of reach a power purchase agreement and be able to go live. Be like, Okay. Now, you know, send in the ASICs and let's get this thing started. Uh, and so it becomes when that does happen, it's like, you know, okay, you know, dog catches car, then what? Okay. Oh, shit. Now we've really yeah. got to you know, <laughs> make this thing, make this thing happen. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, we're doing we're doing our best, um, especially the you know, Jake and John who are, um, you know, bring that uh, that logistics and military you know planning experience to the to the table to uh, to have processes in place for when we you know start that and start to deploy. Uh, right now, we're focused on you know the human to human stuff that you that you have to do to you know in some cases educate, but then you know, just get the stakeholders you know together uh uh to get them to the you know to a decision um and then ultimately sign sign a power purchase agreement at uh the terms that you know that uh, that makes sense to both to both parties and then and then start the the you know the pilot project um but yeah no we're um we're excited to to be hopefully super busy in 23.
0: love it well lauren's just uh come in the room and i don't right. know whether you were aware of this but lauren asks generally usually the first question of each podcast but she was tied up on a uh a debate club class was that oh right? man awesome yeah and yeah. i need to do one question really quickly because um i have another class oh so like... okay such all right a, yeah, sorry yeah well we're, we're sorry that uh lots of, we're, lots we're, of things you know, to do trampling all over <laughs> your uh, your calendar here so uh go ahead what what did you want to so, uh, try and do a small one and um what is your favorite thing about Bitcoin?
1: Oh man. So those uh, seemingly simple questions are always, are always the hardest because there's so many things uh, about, about Bitcoin that, uh, uh, that are important and that I, and that I like. So I am going to focus it on what our company is trying to do. And that is what we believe Bitcoin can bring uh, to places like Africa, uh, and and that combines a lot of the great things about Bitcoin. So one is that Bitcoin is a way for people in Africa who don't have an access who don't have access to a bank to be able to uh, transfer value or money to each other without having to ask for, for permission, without having to register with a, with a bank, uh, which they can't. We take that for granted in the West so that they can uh, focus on doing some kind of business activity that allows them to build a better life for themselves and, and for, them fam- for their families. And then the other thing that makes me, that makes me really love Bitcoin in that Africa context is that we believe that Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining and what Bitcoin mining does can deliver more uh, energy and uh, you know, electricity to Africans. So, almost half of Africans don't have any electricity, which means they spend almost all of their, their time uh, in the hardest ways possible to try to keep themselves you know, warm and cool using primitive methods and just trying to survive. And when you're just trying to survive, which is a very noble thing to do for you and your family, you can't focus on saving money or building a business that can make your life and your, family life's, fa- your family's life your kids' lives better in the future. And so we think that Bitcoin mining, if we can use that to get more energy to Africans in addition to Bitcoin itself can make Africans' lives a lot better. And that's why I love Bitcoin. How was that how do, what, what grade would you give me i think I feel like that's a solid B minus
0: uh, you I think maybe an. Um, <laughs> I don't know, but um you're you're trying to help people, so probably
1: like an A or something like yeah <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. I hope you're not an easy grader. I believe you. thank you.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for coming down.
1: Anyways, thank you. Bye.
0: Bye. Good to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Uh, what? So one thing that that has been crossing my mind whilst we've been talking about this is um, is Gladstein's article, Alex Gladstein. Oh yeah. Um, when he's talking, you're gonna try
1: to get me in trouble with uh, with the with the government.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to know, have you read it or listened to it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your, because it's a, a very damning piece on, you know, so many different institutions and uh, and what's been going on with uh, basically the uh, continued um, rape of of the continent of Africa and imperialism uh, by the weapon of debt rather than, than guns and force. Yeah, what, what what were your takes from that? And and you know, you've you've seen that from inside from within the belly of the beast.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah it's true. I mean, um, yeah, thankfully my you know, my job was not to be a, a you know an evil debt promoter. Um and I you know, I say that with you know, t- tongue in cheek because um, I think the first point I, I want to make is that you know uh, low level senior to mid-level. Field-based um, civil servants based out of U.S. embassies, uh, you know, join because they want to do something that serves their, their country and are putting themselves often in harm's way to do this. And I think that, you know, almost 100% of those individuals believe that what they're doing is um, uh, is going to help. Uh, others you know uh, as it's also promoting kind of american foreign policy objectives so i feel like you know intent is is important to discuss at the outset um it is you know the policy of of practitioners you know, in the field and these are my people right people that are you know out in, in tough tough spots uh you know, sacrificing and, and oftentimes you know without their kids doing doing these things uh, now that is separate from um, you know kind of where these policies began uh, and you know, the historical context for uh, why those policies were started in the first place, which goes back decades. And I think that that Alex you know, does a does a pretty fantastic job to you know go back um, and and uh, uh, help all of us understand why this was. Um, uh, part of American foreign policy, and understanding that it was part of a different time and a different war—a Cold War with the Soviet Union—and and I think he, yeah, you know, he concedes this in in one of his long-form pieces that, and uh, and this is him being charitable as well. Um, that you know, in making the 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 you know, tying the dollar to the to to, uh, to oil. So the petrodollar and then the U.S. Treasury bill kind of becoming the the basis of the global reserve and having, uh, you know, know, countries be our creditors um, was uh, ultimately enabled us to defeat the Soviet Union because simply we could print and they couldn't. Right. Uh, And, you know, there are characteristics of of, uh, the Soviet Union, certainly that. Um, put them at great disadvantage economically, and ultimately they were contained, uh, as George Kennan foresaw, and they were uh, they were um, defeated because uh, of that lack of economic parity and their inability to keep up with uh, our spending across almost all parameters. So, war over. Let's stop the money printers and stop doing all of those things that uh you know I think we're we're uh and we're uh we're started for the cause of uh of freedom and to defeat you know the Soviet Union. Unfortunately that's not how uh you know humans and 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 organizations and governments and power works, right? And if something gives you an exorbitant privilege, you know, uh you're not just going to hang that up because the original foe um, that kind of you know instigated these policies is no longer, um, and so I think that's part of the story, right? Is that we did not go back to the gold standard, right, in, uh, in 1989, um, and uh, I think arguably, and Alex points out, that in some ways, you know, the uh, the IMF and the and, and the World Bank, and and uh, certainly we've seen this now with China, uh, the gas. Uh, the pedal has been put to the metal on um, what I agree is is uh, unhelpful debt diplomacy. You know that actually uh, extracts you know resources more than it um, allows uh, uh, you know countries to kind of keep their heads afloat economically and. And find some 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 form of economic independence. But once you kind of get that train rolling and keep, you know get that ball, but really tough to turn it in the other direction because of the interim pain. That now those emerging markets kind of like the United States, if we were to, you know, if if uh, the Federal Reserve were to you know, pivot, uh, uh, or I'm I'm sorry, the decision that they're they're taking on, if you know, if they were to really stamp out uh um try to stamp out inflation that's just too painful and in similar these countries that have become now addicted to uh to bad to bad debt um so uh how how do we turn that around I think needs to be part of the conversation um and I think that uh you know part of it is going to be uh, simply uh, what happens naturally as a result of uh, kind of a cycle of deglobalization, where we'll see the United States uh, and European uh, powers kind of retract themselves uh, from uh, the world uh, for a period. And there's folks that have done kind of a great job, uh, like Peter Zahan, even though he's now you know Bitcoiner's number one foe uh, uh, about you know, how we're how we're moving away from globalization. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'll, that's a, a long way to answer your question that, you know, I think that the, the genesis of this charitably was for the purpose of a good thing, which was to defeat the Soviet Union. Uh, when that time passed, we did not adjust uh, because we saw great advantage and that has created uh, distortions. In economies, not just you know, ours, but then also uh, throughout uh, the world, and um, we're going to see a cycling back, and it's a question of how painful that process is going to be. And I think you and I agree, and most of your audience agrees that a uh, something that can greatly assist this process is is Bitcoin.
0: Mm-hmm. I would love to see. I mean, what what you guys are doing in particular because, you know, a lot of this money, this IMF money that flooded into African nations did flood in on the, the idea of uh, building out power grids for the uh, the betterment of the people. Um, but of course, we now know after reading Alex's piece and Confessions of an Economic Hitman is another great book to, to try and... And he, he quotes Graham Hancock's book as well, um, I can't remember the title it's got poverty in the title um can't remember it but i.e., you know the, the the whole scam for one of a better word being convince the local government or official that they need to build out a huge hydro plant or some kind of uh maybe a <clears throat> windmill farm or something right um that money gets flooded in from the imf they're all rubbing their hands together because that's another 25 years of solid debt and repayments back to the IMF. Thank you very much to the tune of almost double what they've uh, sent over. And then an American corporation gets to build that uh, power station or whatever it is that they're doing. Now you guys are going to come along, hopefully fingers crossed and actually make that thing that is sitting there as a, in many cases, um, a symbol of, colonialism and, uh, really, you know, underhanded, uh, bad decision-making, um, indebtedness. But if you guys can offer the solution of Bitcoin and switch this thing on its head and plug some ASICs into that and actually start mining Bitcoin and making a difference for the local muni- uh, municipalities or towns or villages or whatever, man, uh, you know that that's the biggest Bitcoin fixes this in orange flashing lights that you've ever seen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's uh, yeah it's it's mind blowing to kind of to think about it. And you did an awesome job kind of describing what we hope is going to be the trajectory. And uh, we hope that we're going to be part of that uh, uh, of that you know process. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, phase one is you know just. Meeting with uh, the guys on Zoom um, on map, uh, we're mapping out you know all of these uh, energy projects across across the continent, so that we understand exactly where these things are and what the stranded energy profiles associated with them are, uh, and then from there deciding you know kind of what are the what are the best you know, targets for us. Uh, but it's it's unbelievable once we started putting our head under the hood, the amount of energy projects that are there Mm -hmm. that are wasteful that if were if brought to capacity could demonstrably change the lives of africans but just don't make economic sense without a location agnostic you know inter intermittent first and last resort uh purchaser of energy that then gets monetized uh so yeah we're super super bullish and super excited Uh, i actually pulled some uh, some stats, uh, so there's over a 1,000 um, hydropower projects already on the continent, 1,100 solar power, 270 wind, that's a total capacity, let's see, what is that, of um, 60 gigawatts of hydropower, 10 gigawatts of solar, 10 of wind, and projects that are either in construction or planned is bringing on 130 gigawatts of hydro, 50 of of wind, no, uh, 50 of solar, 15 of of wind. Uh, Holy and shit! It, yeah, we, so if there's yeah. already
0: two and a half thousand like projects up and running, but the amount that's coming on, that must be another two and a half to three thousand planned projects throughout. Like the yeah. The so I'll
1: give you like the the, the stark the start example heard it probably on the on the other podcast is that you know there's a wind facility 100 megawatt wind facility in the middle of the Sahara that uh, is is producing you know exactly this much of that 100 megawatts because it doesn't have consumers zero and that's an example that's zero yeah sorry yes yeah, uh, I, I did as zero with my hand I'm new to this but uh, yeah the uh, uh and that is that particular project is a result of um not you know u.s or imf debt diplomacy but was a gulf arab gift you know it's like hey congratulations you get this 30 million dollar facility we're going to put it here uh free of charge just make sure you know name your North African Sahel country, uh, you vote the right way on the GCC, and you're know, always with us you know, at the UN, and you know, here's, your, here's your wind facility. Uh, and over to you. And of course, you know, a poor uh, Sahelian uh, country is not going to be able to tack on the tens of millions of dollars of, of energy transmission infrastructure yeah. to actually get that to people. So, uh, and that's not, that's not an exception. You know, there aren't many where you've got hundred megawatts and zero, but it's certainly not uncommon to find these projects all across the continent with, um, you know, 30, 20, 20% to say 60% of it being stranded or wasted, uh, stranded or wasted energy. Um, So it's, yeah, it's mind blowing. And I, and, and a, a good news story is that at least at the practitioner, Kind of in the field level uh, 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 USAID you know, power Africa and some of these programs are starting to understand that you need a consumer of the energy in order for their grants and their um, uh, financing of renewable energy projects on the African continent to make sense there mm-hmm. are literally and this is and it's it's incredible the thing you know, Joe Biden and Janet Yellen were or, uh, I'm sorry, President Biden and Janet Yellen were, uh, were in Africa. Uh, recently, there was just a big Africa summit in D.C. And a lot of talk about how that's a big priority. Where the rubber meets the road, is, you know, we, the, the U.S. government has millions and millions and millions of dollars that they are literally dying to try to find uh, private companies to take to build out energy infrastructure on the continent. They're getting very few takers. The reason they're getting very few takers is that even when you're getting non-dilutive invest, you know, investment funds from the US government, it doesn't make economic sense if you can't identify what are going to be the consumers of that energy for years you know, one through 10, uh, you know, you got to get, you got, you got to have productive returns. And so, some of the more interesting conversations that we hope are going to advance are, uh, you know, with those programs and say, hey, you need to look at Bitcoin mining because if you part, if you, uh, if you layer Bitcoin mining with a renewable energy uh, uh, company uh, that you want to go build these projects and take your money to do it it starts to make sense and and we can get some of these some of these projects over the line uh, you know um, the optimist in me and i am an optimist is that that can result in in good work uh, but the realist which comes from you know 15 years in the foreign service uh, and understanding dc a little bit is that you know everybody's going to green light that and then it gets to Janet Yellen's desk and she's like hell no <laughs> you know, so we'll, we'll see fingers crossed I don't think she's listening to this podcast. Janet, if you are, uh, this is really, really, you know, the best thing you could do for, uh, for not just Africa, but for uh, you know, our relationship with the rest of the world.
0: <laughs> it's, it's crazy to think that, that example that you give about the, the wind farm in the middle of the desert just stood there doing nothing um, as some kind of backhanded bribe to keep the comp- uh, the country company you know freudian slip to keep the country on side with uh you know the uh what country did you say it was um uh, saudi or someone
1: I, yeah probably one, one of those one of the right, gulf, okay. gulf okay. arab countries yeah. yeah
0: okay and then it's just stood there like this monument to fiat malinvestment where like <laughs> the, the money literally doesn't matter because they yeah. know it is worthless, they can just throw up one of these huge wind farms. The The waste of materials, the waste of um, gas, diesel, whatever they're using to ship them there, to build them in the first place. It's just nonsense. To And then they can't even ship the energy because they can't build out the transmission lines to get it to where it needs to go. Um, Really disgusting. And, and there is... Yeah, while-
1: uh, you know, the capital of the country is suffering under exorbitant mm. high-priced energy. <laughs> if uh, yeah, exorbitant,
0: exorbitant high-priced energy and most likely uh, exorbitant interest payments back to um, oh, the IMF, for example, or the World Bank. Um, which, you know, you guys, when you're having these meetings, you'll be at, <laughs> again, Bitcoin fixes this. If they can just plug in the ASICs and use that to start offsetting they, they can exchange it and start offsetting the debt and free themselves from this debt burden yeah. over time. I mean I would much rather they just stack the Bitcoin and you know for when the yeah, debt.
1: Yeah, but it's 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 the, the uh it's the entry uh uh you know point we think um you know one of the things that's resonating well there's two two things that are resonating as we're having conversations with Non Bitcoin native, which is mostly everybody uh, at that kind of governmental level in Africa. Not every. You know, you'd be surprised. There's some Bitcoiners, and, and more more than more than in the U.S. But uh, when you boil the conversation down to, we know you know you have wasted energy at this scale. You can. We want to buy that from you. Mm. We want to buy that from you at a fair at a at a fair price. Uh, we're going to bring in the infrastructure. We're going to create jobs. We're going to run educational programs so that local locals can help be part of the project and do the you know the STEM um, uh, uh, stuff around that. Um, we're going to you know bring internet, and we are just a data center. You know we're a data center that needs energy, and we can and we're going to go to wherever we can find it. Uh, as cheaply as possible. And that makes a lot of sense. And then you can kind of, you know, let them lead you to talking more about what Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining specifically is. And then secondly, and this it's you know, something that is becoming more and more important to the entire world but emerging markets in particular is what they consider to be the hardest asset in the world. And that's the US dollar. And so what we are uh, uh, offering is not only all of what I just said, but payment in USD. <laughs> and they're just like, "All right, sign me up because my, you know, our uh, our currency is is uh, is inflating. I mean, you know, Ghana is a great example uh, where they've they've had close to runaway inflation over the last couple of years. Uh, uh, the dollar is highly sought after because of that." um they actually just announced back in november and i think the first ship just came they they're the first country in the world to um uh secure oil uh for something other than usd because uh uh, gold is um is uh something that the uh the russians can accept without it being you know taken Mm -hmm. so they're getting from a couple of different angles you know uh the great need for the USD in a deflationary environment, especially when you have an inflationary currency. And then two, the importance of, of hard assets in, in, in 2023, gold more so than uh, uh, than, than the USD. Uh, but um, these countries are starting to, to get because um, their experience you know, uh, right now, um, absolutely necessitates looking into these other options.
0: Mate, so much, so much good can come from this. It, it, it boggles the mind. How can the plebs help you? If anyone's listening to this, what do you guys need? Where, where, where are you looking for help or should people just reach out with ideas anyway? Like, you know, yeah. What, what, yeah, what stage please. are you at?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we're uh, uh, we're going through our seed round of uh, for capital raise. Um, knock on wood, I'm gonna knock on wood after this call. We feel like uh, we're getting we're getting closer to uh, you know finalizing an initial seed round, but nothing is nothing is certain until uh, checks are in the mail, uh, which would give us you know the runway and the capital needed to. Uh, meet uh, what we think is going uh, to be a uh, big demand for Bitcoin mining in a couple of different spots that we're actively uh, pathing and hope to have power purchase agreements in hand here shortly. Uh, but that said, we're going to, you know, we're quickly going to uh, run out of our own families money to keep this thing going, uh, you know, much, much longer. Uh, so right now, you know, we're bootstrapping, you um, with our own savings, to get out to Africa and uh, and just concentrate on what we can do uh, as economically as possible to get to get deals across to get deals across the line and then bank uh, ASICs and investment capital to uh, those opportunities. So, long way of saying, if you if anyone has any desire to be learn more about what we're doing, be a part of what we're doing those uh, uh, folks or entities that would be interested in investing in us. Um, we are all ears. Uh, I am totally, I'm like, you know, this um, uh, troglodyte in t- 2023. I don't, you know, I'm not on Twitter. Uh, I quit. I, I, I hate quit Facebook like four years ago. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, but just joined it like last September. So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Ben Kincaid, Bridger Solutions, uh, we have a website, um, uh, bridgerbc.com, uh, and you can send us a message through there. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, you know, we're just excited to talk to everybody about this. And, and this is, this is uh, an industry and a time where we need more people with excitement, enthusiasm, skills, and experience around it, not less. Uh, so just excited to hear, to hear from people um, and, uh, and, and partner where we can.
0: Awesome, brother. Well, let's wrap it up with the the last question. If you had just one last orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to, and why?
1: It's <laughs> the oh, so President Biden, but I'm going to retract that one because you know it sounds. It seems like perhaps his his party has decided that uh, you know they're done. They're done with him. Um, you know, I. Let me let me, uh, let me think who that would be. I think it would be the uh, the chairman of the African uh, the African Union, you know, to stand you know at the podium and give you know an impassioned speech for why uh, African countries need to not just embrace, but to run full speed towards uh, taking control of their most important resource, which is their energy. And, uh, and from there, understand the value proposition of Bitcoin, but at a minimum, start Bitcoin mining to turn their, you know, their own economic situations around before really before it's uh it's it's too late for a number of these ventures
0: so right there's mate. my Love there's it.
1: my answer well yeah, maybe i don't know b, b plus
0: there's there's no <laughs> right or wrong answer and uh the you know that there's, there's been a whole plethora of of different ones throughout the uh 300 or so episodes that I've been asking that question so thank you uh thanks for coming on mate uh, and thank you for everything that you're doing um Huge, huge decision from you to to give up that that cushy government job, like staring a nice <laughs> pension down the down and uh, and and walking away from it because because Same you feel you, well. Thank you. Um, you, but you feel the call of Bitcoin, and that's what Bitcoin does to people. Like it, you know, it hooks into you. Um, said it before. Uh, I, I've had uh, long conversations about this with other people. You know, it elevates um, the you know the ethically and morally sound, and it exposes the charlatans. Um, and you'll see the charlatans go and start something like Hex or Ethereum, for example. Uh, but in people like yourself and your co-founders, look at the difference you're trying to make for humanity, and you know you're, you're willing to to take uh, on the chance and and put your own financial safety at risk. Uh, so. That can't be understated. I think that's uh, an amazing thing. Huge thank you from, you know, myself and on behalf of the Bitcoin community. And we hope to hear a lot more about yourselves and Bridger Solutions.
1: Thanks so much for having me on, Daniel. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you.
0: Thanks, man. Take care. And uh, speak again soon.
1: Awesome. Thanks, man. See you.
0: There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed that rip with Ben. Reach out to him or the team or me, if you want to be introduced, think they're doing some great work. And this is just the beginning. There are other people out there as well putting their minds to this problem and trying to find solutions to harness that stranded energy to mine Bitcoin with it, to improve communities, to improve infrastructures. It's, it's so great to see. And uh, like I said there at the end, thank you, Ben. You know, you've taken a big risk here. You've stepped away from a fifteen-year career to to put your expertise to something else to further the message of Bitcoin and to strengthen Bitcoin. It's uh, but you know, well done, hats off. Uh, Anybody else out there that is on the edge of making this reality, uh, this dream, uh, become a reality by by quitting your fiat job and getting out there and leaning into the Bitcoin space it's possible don't doubt yourself um, get out there do what you need to do make those connections i'm happy to make any connections or introdu- introduce anybody uh, just let me know uh, keep an eye out on bitcoin and jobs to see if there's something there lurking in one of those ads that you can you know apply your uh, apply to and apply yourself to uh we need as many people all hands on deck so that's the uh that's the call to action Right there. Get to a, a conference this year. That's the best way to start networking in. Or download Orange Pill app. That's the quickest way to find people nearest to you uh, that you could perhaps start your own projects with or get out there and meet. Uh, just go to orangepillapp.com and you can pay via the website. If you join via the website, you can pay via Lightning. If you download the app from either the Apple Store or the, uh, the Google Play Store, you have to pay in fiat because of course ne- neither of those companies accept Bitcoin. So go in via the website. That's the best way to do it. And use, uh, use your Bitcoin via the Lightning Network. And then find people close to you. Uh, fingers crossed. As this social layer grows out, people like yourselves are gonna be desperate to meet other Bitcoiners. So get across to Miami. That one's coming up in May, mid-May. Use the code BITTON. Hit the links in the show notes and use the code BITTON for BTC Prague as well. Uh, You'll save 10% discount on your ticket purchases. Uh, So Prague is coming up in June. Keep an eye out on Liberty in Our Lifetime. That was a great conference last year. It's going to be in Prague again in October. More information to come on that one. And there will be a discount code for it as well. The Baltic Honey Badger. No discounts. Just get to the website. Audio tickets if they've been released that will be in September 2023. That's brought to you by Hoddle Hoddle. Obviously, the other show sponsors are Swan Bitcoin, Relay, and Coin Corner, Wasabi Wallet, and of course, the Bitbox 02 brought to you by shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. Like I said, all links in the show notes. Hit up the Vita page or the link tree for other links to. Other discounts from other Bitcoin plips. Enjoy your week. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you on the next show.